sure. Um, I, I was in high tech being a programmer. I loved programming and I loved designing. And my, <laughs> my boss said, hey, could you do the access control lists on our internet connection? Uh, this was in maybe 1998, I think. So I've been around a while. And I said, sure, because I, I was writing our TCP IP stack at the time, which, you know, think about that. Um, I, I knew something about networks. Uh, it turned out when I got to Cisco that I didn't know anything about routing networks, but I thought I knew something about networks, and I, and I do. I really do, because I have written TCP IP stacks. I know how it works, down to the hardware level. So, you know, he said, you do networks, you could do this. And I went, sure. <laughs> of course, more and more security things would come in until I was the security manager, along with my day job as a chief designer at this software house. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of an accident. I kind of backed into it. And then Cisco hired me to look at what we now call to, to dream, literally to dream. It was a great job to dream about what we now call security information managers, um, SIMs, and, and you know what would they look like? How would we visualize incidents unfolding and things like that? And it was a great job. I loved that job. Um, it was so much fun, but it wasn't really producing much. And Cisco, the dot-com bust happened and Cisco needed to get rid of people and they didn't want to get rid of me. So they said to me, literally, they literally said, we've been trying to hire an application security uh, architect for the last 18 months. And you've developed a lot of software and designed a lot of software. We know this isn't the kind of job you're doing right now. We know it's kind of not that important, but would you be willing to take it? So they offered it to me as a downgrade, literally not knowing that you know in three or four years we would be one of the most important teams in infosec because attacks change right uh, and attack vectors change and things started getting into the web messages and so that's kind of how i got into this so then i built uh, my very first um application security program in around you know 2002 2003 2001 2002 2003 2004, um, built the first champions, not the first champions in the industry, but we independently invented the idea of security champions there and built a program in 2004, 2005. Um, one of the first uh, web application security scanning programs, which by the way is still running almost 20 years later, which is really a surprise. How, how often do you build a program that goes for 20 years? Um, uh, I, I I have nothing to do with it. I left Cisco in 2011, but but still, that's kind of the the beginning. And and somehow the security bug got me. It really got me. I realized what I was doing was actually kind of important, and it mattered. It mattered not just to Cisco. It mattered because as John Stewart, who was then CISO at Cisco, once said to me. Yeah, just to keep this stuff usable would be great. And and uh, I kind of got the bug that, that I could do something. My little part of it might actually matter to the greater good. Um, and, of course, that always helps one come to work in the morning and do stuff maybe one doesn't so much enjoy. <laughs> and so that's kind of my journey. And then I got the bug and... Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you.
not right from the start. Um, it, it should be fundamental. Um, I, I, in, in core software security, where I wrote chapter nine, we talked about the heart of security practices. And at that time, that was 2013, 2014, when we were writing that, I was thinking you got to get sa uh, static analysis and, and code review going. You got to get something around the code. And that's the most important part. My, my thinking hasn't changed, but um, over the years since then, and I was building a threat modeling practice, the fourth one I've built uh, at, at McAfee at the time. Um, I was thinking of threat modeling still as something a little more discreet than it actually is. My thinking has evolved a lot. Threat modeling is fundamental to thinking about security. In fact, it's fundamental to life. If, you've, if you, if you um, conduct a vehicle or walk in a city late at night alone, a strange city, you have a threat model. You, may, you probably don't think of it that way, but hopefully you're not on the road without a threat model because bad things can happen, right? Um, and so that's a threat model. It's a very simplistic and daily life kind of thing um, that we all, most of us at least, have to encounter and deal with. And, you know, I use those two examples to try and get us all to, to realize that you can't think about security without thinking about what could go wrong, what bad things could happen, what exists, and then how we're going to protect against the bad things that we think might happen and how likely they are to happen. All of that is just threat modeling, really simple. And whether you're the CISO thinking about where do I put my investments or you're a developer thinking, um, I want to write this feature and I need to do this story, pulling it off the backlog if you're working in Agile, you're, you're really still thinking threat modeling and it's just fundamental. And once you do that, you realize all we have to do is help people get better at it. Rather than saying, do threat modeling and make it all great, um, you know, back in the day, I'll, I'm just going to do a, a little side thing that I think highlights this shift. Um, back in the day, our, our security development life cycles, or SDL or SSDLC, depending upon what, what you like to use, um, they used to include a lot of steps architecture steps and design steps. There would be an, a, a, you know, an engagement. Does this need security? Then I want to review your architecture. Now I want to review your design. Now I want to check that you got all the right requirements in. Now you're going to develop, and then at the end, we'll do a go live with all these steps. And when I was sitting at, and it's very complicated, and developers go, oh my gosh, what is all this stuff? I don't understand. I just want to design and write the code, right? Well, this works much better if threat modeling is just part of how we think about building software. In the same way you'd consider scalability or performance, you know, usability, these are all things you have to consider. Well, we have to consider security, what my friend Isar Tarandash calls the star illities, and security is one of them. And when you, when you change it from these special things to, oh, we're thinking about what stuff we have to build and how we have to build it, and we consider security as part of that, you're threat modeling. But don't make it so special. Unfortunately, in order to do this well, there's some very specialized knowledge you need to have. And that's where we stumble. Not that it's fundamental to what we do. And I'll just say, I talk to a lot of developers, and while this is anecdotal and not, and not a scientific survey, I haven't met a developer in years who looked at me and said, security, that's somebody else's problem. Not in years. And that's a good thing. That's a wonderful development to say. I haven't walked to an organization that said, we, you know, we start to engage about security and they go, oh, no, no, security, we, we don't need to worry about that. Everybody knows it's a problem. The specialized knowledge is understanding which attacks or threats, as we often say in threat modeling, which attacks are relevant to a particular tech stack and architecture 
and set of inputs. That's a very specialized knowledge, which is not at this moment easily attained or gained. Unfortunately, if it was easy, it would be great. My friend Adam Shostak just published a new book called Threats, which I highly recommend to everyone because he's trying to solve that problem um, and make it easier. Uh, things like the card deck, elevation of privilege, help. Um, think about stuff that you don't know about that could go wrong. But um, that's, that's one of the big problems. And then the, another problem is risk rating, which is rather difficult to do and not well understood. People call vulnerabilities risks. They're not. Um, that's not a risk. That's a weakness that contributes to a potential risk. And, you know, we won't go into, into risk rating right now. You can go look at some of my stuff or, you know, some of the people are fair, the open group standard or whatever, and learn more about that. But the a vulnerability by itself is not a risk. And that's a misunderstanding that we have all the time. So that's another stumbling special knowledge that we need in order to threat model well. And then the, the last stumbling block is many defenses are M to N, that is many to many relationship to attacks. So there are a few attacks where you do exactly a thing and it fixes it or weaknesses and you can fix a certain vulnerability with a certain thing and boom, you're done. But with lots of them, we build up a defense that sort of closes off the attack service and then sort of makes it more expensive to to pull off the attack and then highlights that an attack is happening through monitoring. And we use all these different strategies together to build what we call the defense in depth. And understanding how to do that is a bit specialized. So those are the three stumbling, big stumbling blocks. And, you know, this, um, what I'm saying comes from the fact that uh, happily, I've had the honor to teach a lot of people how to threat model in my career. And so I have observed what the stumbling blocks are, and those are the big stumbling blocks. So that's where you need some specialist help, right? And so that helps if you can call on a specialist. But people learn. I mean, when we have developers, when we teach developers how to threat model, yeah, at first their, their threat modeling is a bit limited. But over time, they learn what's relevant if they get some help and they get better at it and pretty soon, you you know, they don't need the specialist anymore. They know what the threats are they need to worry about for their particular piece of software. And so, you know, um, that's where developer-centric security gets. Go on. Well, that, that was the whole purpose in writing securing systems was to provide exactly that sort of, here's how you think about a system. And, and it's it, the, the heart of it is case studies of typical architectures you might run into. They're all fictional because I want to get sued. Um, but uh, I started with real architectures and realized, oops, uh, somebody's going to get mad at me if I put this into a book because I don't own it. So I I took the architectures I knew and then created, you know, slightly fictionalized versions of them so I wouldn't get sued by people. But but they are all architectures essentially I have encountered in my in my career. And so that was that was one way of going about it. Adam's book is another approach. There are a few other places to go. Um, Miters ATT ampersand CK or attack tells you what has actually been used in the world. And it has lots of twiddly ways to look at it in interesting ways. So that could help. And it's tied to the defense through an ontology. So that's a help. Um, things like MITRE's uh, CWB, um, Common Weakness Enumeration, um, is generally too detailed for this. Um, we need to come up another level, but it has some organizing principles that might help climb out of your, out of, you know, limitations and understandings. And there's, you know, uh, common attack pattern 
enumeration, KPEC, um, also by MITRE. And again, it's a bit detailed. And so those, that's one of the problems we run into. But they do have organizing principles that I've used a lot in my trainings. And then there's something like stride. If you have no idea what to do, at least think through the stride, you know, um, spoof, tamper, uh, uh, I'm blanking. Um, 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 it's um, not it's, uh, um, uh, information disclosure. Uh, I'm skipping the R because I can't think of the right word. I keep thinking remuneration, but that's not the right word. Um, my brain is having a burp there. But you can use stride, and I have taught, I use that as a kind of a, a gateway, if you will, into this. That might help, but I've found even Microsoft don't use it anymore because they've found that it's it's too general. You need to get more specific. I have literally seen professional, supposedly professional threat models where the letters S-T-R-I-D-E were written by every input with nothing else in them. No, that doesn't help. That does not help at all. You really have to, you really have to get more specific. But Stride might, for those uninitiated, get you starting to think about the things that could go wrong. Another thing is elevation of privilege card deck. Again, Adam invented that. Um, uh, and, and it's free. You can download it. Uh, you can also buy the deck, but, but you can just download the PDF. And just running through that might give you some ideas about how to, how to, how to get around this. So I'm encouraging people to threat model. You don't need a, an expert. But your threat models will be better if you get some expertise or follow some of these things. Try playing the elevation of privilege game or just have the cards and go, does this, does this apply? Does this attack apply? Does this not? Literally, when I got to Cisco, it's a true story. When I got to Cisco, I was working with people like uh, Michelle Gell. Uh, and she was Michelle Crabb when she did the Morris Worm in 1988. Oh, my gosh. Serious, serious um you know security expertise and steve atchison inventor of make the easy path uh, the the secure path and 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 a number of other things um and and when they started talking about security i realized oh my gosh i don't know as much as i thought i actually felt really small really dumb in the in the in the presence of these people. So I actually read the first version of, of Hacking Exposed to and from, because I was taking public transportation for part of my commute, to and from work to Cisco. Every day I was reading Hacking Exposed to run, run as fast as I could and catch up. So something like Hacking Exposed books might help you. They certainly helped me run and catch up with these, these you know, uh, amazing people and, and learn enough to be able to speak code with them and do my job. All of these things are good. They're all help, but none is quite the right thing, I find. Repudiation. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, repudiation means um, I hide what I did. It's because the, usually we talk about non-repudiation and that's what something like a signature and a hash, cryptographic hash, give us. They say, no, the owner of this private key is the one who did sign this. And so that's non-repudiation. And so they change it to repudiation to say, look, um, I, the attacker, I, the wily attacker, didn't do anything. You can't see me. So you want to look for opportunities where you, they, they can hide, if you will, um, what they've done. And, and that's what that means. Uh, something didn't happen. Um. Well, they're not models. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I need to interrupt here because they're not models. They're just resources. Stride is a model. Lindun, the privacy expertise, is a model for attack. Um, 
Um, but the others are not models, they're just resources. I just really want to be clear about that. They're, they might help if you take a look at them. They might get you out of what... The big problem here is not that people can't think of attacks. They're limited to the attacks that they can think of. And it's usually it has to do with the functionality and the data that they have. Not that that's not important, it is. But let me give you an example. Um, uh, there are attackers who just want your compute power. They don't care what your system does. Um, two examples of that would be crypto mining or botnet. That is, I have a whole bunch of machines that I control and I rent them out to do things like send out spam or move illegal pornography around or, or stuff like that. And, and I rent them out. And that's a business model. That's an attacker business model. So they don't care what your stuff does. If I can take over your machine, it has business value to me in, inherently. And I don't really care what your, what your system, what you're doing with them or your data. And, and that's something that's often a really big surprise. People go, oh, yeah, right, right. We need to think about that. But they don't necessarily think about it at first because it's a little, um, what's the word I want? It's just, we stay limited by our vision and that's where security expertise comes in to go, yeah, I know what the range of attacks are. And, you know, one of the things I often point out is um, authentication is important, but it doesn't stop attacks. It narrows the attack surface and also allows us to attach bad behavior to an account. Um, and so that's important. I'm not saying it's not important. But in many scenarios, it's not going to prevent attacks uh, in the way that people often think it does. And so that's where the expertise comes and where people stumble. As you build software, yeah, as you build software from idea and actually through testing, there's a play for the threat model. And let me let me run this down. Yeah, but 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 at not, not don't think of it as phases because in agile a lot of this stuff happens in parallel and and it doesn't make sense. But but if you have phases, yes, in phases. But but often software delivery, software creation. And generation is not linear. Um, it's there's a lot of parallelism. Um, depends, but the point is, as you begin to have an idea, I think we should build an X. You want to think very highly about well, how will pe might people misuse this, and what will our stakeholders expect in terms of protection? That's very high level. And it gets you, that's threat modeling, but it's very, very high level. And it's at different levels. So compare that to, I'm writing this feature and I want to do it a certain way and certain ways are weaker from a security perspective and certain ways are stronger from a security perspective. Take um, whether I should just have one authentication token or if I should have an authentication token that expires and a refresh token, which is a better system, right? Um, and, uh, you know, thinking about that at that specificity is also threat modeling, but it's really specific. So I would say instead of thinking about doing threat modeling in a repeat way, you're just building the model and refining it as you go, and it does get more specific for each story or each feature. But you're still, someone may be coming up with a new idea, and so they got to be threat modeling at that level at the moment that somebody else is doing something really specific, and they need to be very specific about the modeling to that particular point. But it's the same model. We're just refining it, and we're just building it and adding to the materials. Um, rather than thinking of it. The worst is the security person drops in 
after the design has been mostly completed and people are busy coding like crazy and the security person drops in, takes a look at the design, writes up a bunch of requirements that nobody knew about and drops them on the team and says, you got to build this stuff too, whether it works with your design or not, and walks away. That is death to threat modeling. It will, it will really, really disturb everyone. And the thing is, the security people don't like that either. I can't tell you how many times I have sat in a room with developers and security people and asked the developers, how do you like getting your security requirements halfway through or late in the game? And they're like, oh, we hate it. And then I asked the security people, so how do you like getting called in so late that you're drop, you know, you can't, you you feel really ineffective and you can't get it, get stuff done, and and there's a lot of friction. And they say we really hate it. And then I look at them and I say, why are you doing it this way? You know, you know who each other are. <laughs> it's simple. When you're starting something new, call your security person. Security people reach out. What new is coming down the pike? You can solve this problem. And that's actually the only way I ever see that problem get solved. But the once at a time threat model point in time is a really old fashioned thing that just doesn't work today. Really think about continuous delivery. We're changing the software constantly. It just doesn't work. That's a great question. And I actually am supposed to deliver a webinar about that sometime this year. Uh, so I'll, I'll just pitch the fact that at some point um, through Resilient, we're going to have a webinar on this very subject. Um, obviously, you may not have the right expertise in-house. And so that's a problem. Um, you do, I, I encourage everyone to do the best they can, even with limitations. A, the most important thing is get some kind of security testing tooling going. That's very important. You know, open source, even if it's a little noisy, it will help. So that's, that's number one. So you can at least know if you're building weaknesses in your code and get some sort of threat modeling to the best of your ability as you just as you just said just as you just said um, go through it and and to the best of your ability uh, think through as adam likes to say the four questions what are we building what are we working on what can go wrong what are we going to do about it and have we done enough and and that pretty much sums up the best you can do you know, if, if you get more money, you can always bring in someone with a lot of secure, you know, threat modeling experience as a consultant. They can be sort of a part-time security architect for you. There's a bunch of companies that will do that. I'm not going to pitch mine particularly. There's lots of, lots of great architects out there um, who, who be happy to come in for, you know, a modest amount of money, hopefully. Um, the big four accounting houses want, you know, $100,000 in engagement, so maybe that's out. But, but there are other people out there who will help you, um, if you, if you if you think you can afford that. But oftentimes at the very beginning when you're self-funded, there's no money for that. But the other thing I want to say is a couple of the major commercial tools, threat modeling tools, and I forgot to say this before um, when you asked this question, have community versions. 
and they have a catalog of threats and defenses. So I'm not pitching any particular tool here. There's a, there's a couple of really good ones and they have community versions that you can just go today, download for your startup and, you know, try to enter in as much as you know about what you're building and see what they say. That can get you over the hump and it's free to a good home. You do not have to pay anything for this. That could help. That could be great. And I also want to mention um, threat modeling tool from Microsoft. It's been out there for, for nearly a decade now. Um, it's also free. It's not open source, but it's free. And it might get you over the hump if you produce the right kind of software. It's not very SaaS oriented or cloud oriented. It's a little more operating system and application, endpoint application oriented, but it could help. These are all things that the startup not only can do, but must do, frankly. If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna, what, what happens if you don't do these things? Can I just finish this one sentence? If you don't do your threat modeling, you will have built something that probably has weaknesses that then you're gonna have to rebuild. And that's gonna be much more expensive. Well, you know, I think that's actually kind of a, a bit old-fashioned problem. Because of all the public breaches that have happened over the last mm, seven, eight years, we've got mindshare. You, you will run into that from time to time. You will. And I don't, don't want to dismiss your question entirely. And if you're working at, you know, I mean, what did Home Depot say until they got hacked? We don't produce security, we produce hammers until they got hacked. Um, that was, I think, in 2016 or something. Um, but, you know, there is that. But a lot of that is changing. And especially at startups, most, again, most developers I have talked to, again, not a formal survey, uh, but anecdotally, are not finding a lot of oh, that's somebody else's problem or prove to me you need to do that. It's more prove to me I need to make this particular investment. And then you get into really specifics, you know. And uh, one of the things that, that I try to do in my practice is to provide a ramp. A ramp from, look, there are these open source tools, they have their problems, but they do something and they get you started and they're easy to work with. And start there, and then we'll build. As you build revenue, we can build on that. And so you've already laid a foundation. People are already doing security, and it's just integral to the process. I mean, if you have Git, you can stick with a Git, Git action, SEMgrep on your code, if you're working in the right languages um, that SEMgrep covers. You know, today, if you're working in Git, go uh, in GitHub, Go use a GitHub action to say, scan my repo with SEMgrep. You've started. You see, it's not that hard to get started anymore. It used to be like, you know, you'd haggle with a with a, somebody and you had to have, I mean, I must have had a three or four million dollar budget at Cisco by the time I, I stopped. You know, I had money. But still, where do I spend that and on what? And, and the tools were expensive, a million dollars for a subscription, you know. Startup doesn't have that, but we don't have that problem anymore. There's something you can do. There's the barrier to entry is very low today, which is great, really great. Um, it's more an awareness that many people don't or in the plethora of tools. I mean, 
I see five new tools announced almost every day in that big plethora of tools. Which ones should I actually use? You're probably going to concentrate on the ones that get your, your code out the fastest, right? And that isn't going to be a security tool. But, you know, let me just say there's something wonderful like Horasek, Horus as in the Egyptian god Horus, Sek, um, which, you know, can touch a lot of security tooling and automate it in your pipeline. So, you know, there's all kinds of really interesting things out there if you just look that are available that people can avail themselves of. So it's not as hard as it used to be. And so rather than trying to justify a $50,000 server, I'm going to instead start and say, let's just try something simple. Right. Well, and there are freemium models too. We should mention we should mention that there's some freemium models. I think SNCC has a freemium model where, you know, there's a there's a basic you get some scans for nothing. Um again, there's lots of ways to cut this, do something reasonable. And as you said, as the money comes in, as your business becomes successful, you can always reevaluate and say, is it time for one of the commercial tools or do we up our subscription in SNCC or, you know, whatever. Well, no, I don't think it will. Um, and besides, so let me just tell you this. I asked ChatGPT specifically to please summarize chapters two and four of Securing Systems. And what it came back with was, you know, basic security information that had nothing to do with what's in those chapters. So you got to be a little careful here. Oh, and um, when I asked it to please, you know, who is author Brooke S.E. Schoenfield? That is me. You might notice the beard here. Um, uh, it came back telling me I was a, a woman fantasy writer um, who doesn't exist as far as I can tell. So I did post that hallucination. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but uh, nevertheless, you got to be careful and have a little expertise. A lot of what you'll get from ChatGPT is basically common knowledge. That's not bad. If you're a developer and you have no knowledge and you want to get some basics, going to ChatGPT and saying, what is application security and what should I do is not a bad start. And I'll just tell you, I'm a huge fan of, of uh, AI-assisted search. Why? because I don't have to pick through the URLs. The bot does it for me. And it'll, it'll point me in the right direction. Not always, but it will. And that saves me a huge amount of time. I can say, hey, go out and tell me about this thing. And, and it'll go and search and trundle through the URLs and try to find the best, most related information. So that saves me a lot of time. I love it. I'm a big fan. On the other hand, you have to know what you're looking at. Um, let's take chat-assisted coding. I know a lot of people who are really getting a lot out of that, but they're experienced coders who can look and say, uh, there's a mistake here, uh, bot, 
um, fix this mistake. And I, I, I just, at RSA, literally, I talked to a company where they no longer have their front end. He does no longer has a programmer for that. He said, in an hour, I can get it done by just, I want this feature. Now I see the code, you know, it's an experienced web coder. I see there's a problem, fix this problem. And in an hour, you know, they can, he can get not just usable code, but really good code. But that's a process going back and forth with a very experienced programmer. Um, if you think you're going to low code or no code and let chat GPT, remember, it's looked at all the mistakes of all those programmers too. And it doesn't know the difference between a mistake and not a mistake, right? You have to tell it. But it might help. It might, you know, it's it's a it's it could help us be more efficient. Sure. Um, so that's the problem with the Chat GPT. Um, there are a lot of ethical um, considerations going on here that I'm going to dodge for the moment and just say, please see um, Mr. Hinton's or Professor Hinton's um, critique of where we're going. He just quit Google and he published a, a critique. And I would suggest for everyone to read that and get involved in the ethical and and uh, questions around ChatGPT. There are, are all AI stuff and training and whatnot. I'm going to dodge those bullets, if you don't mind, because I don't think that's a place here to take that stuff up. But I will say that we're going to have to wrestle with that stuff. Um, but from a security perspective, sure, it might help. And especially if you know nothing. But again, when I asked, so I, I was writing a, a, an article, a little bit article, and I, I said to write GPT, here's a subject. Please tell me about this subject. Now write me a bunch of paragraphs. I haven't used one of them because there was nothing original there. And people expect me to say something, you know, from experience, from knowledge, right? And I couldn't use anything it generated. It was wonderful. So if you knew nothing about that subject, asking ChatGPT to tell you something would be great again. But if you're an expert and you expect it to write your next blog, I'm sorry, I don't think it's going to happen. And if you write that blog, you're just saying the same thing everybody else Sure. And, and again, it could, might be able to write some slightly more secure code um, or give you some ideas. Uh, and, and that's great. Like if you don't know how to secure uh, um, JavaScript uh, tokens, I'm sure you can get some code out of ChatGPT because that's been done well many, many times. But make sure you look at it carefully to make sure it's not weak. Right. Again. So. Um, it, it, this stuff is moving fast. Ask me this question again in three years, and I think I may have a slightly different answer. But um, for the moment, I think it's really important that we use this stuff and not trust it 100%, because it does hallucinate. Again, I'm not a woman fantasy writer. I have never written a novel, ever. I wouldn't even know how to go about it though I've written hundreds of thousands of words that have been published, I would not know how to go about writing a novel. I know nothing about writing novels. I love novels, but I don't write them, you know. And so ChatGPT was completely wrong.
Well, or a little expertise. A little expertise doesn't hurt. Um, and But again, as you say, if you know nothing for these basic questions, what it brings is, yeah, what you'd find in the beginning chapter of almost any book. And that's not bad because it'll save you time um, and, and it'll get you started. Uh, so it's not a, it's a tool. Again, it's a tool. Use it as a tool, not a savior. At this moment, ChatGPT is not going to do AppSec for us. Minus one. I'm going to go off the scale here. Don't do it this way. Bad form. Why? Um, a Carnegie Mellon study studied fishing very carefully and what people do. And if a topic is of interest, 67%, that is two thirds of people will click. So if we don't keep helping our um, the people we're depending on, to do things the right way, if we don't keep helping them understand what they need to do and how to do it, they will fail. And you're just opening up a huge attack surface. So no, onboarding is important. Um, one year is probably not enough, um, you know, especially with things like phishing, but there are other things like acceptable use. What's okay on my machine? Is it okay for me to let my kids play games on my machine is that okay incidental use a lot of acceptable use policies allow incidental use that means usually you can have your personal email on the machine but maybe not so you really we need to remind people we need to remind them no don't grab that excel sheet with all that uh personally identifiable information and take it on your machine and then let your kids have the run of it bad form um and, uh, uh, and, you know, because the kids will explore and, you know, that's, they need their own machines <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing we need to remind people and help reinforce and give them exercises to work on these things. Cause some of these have skills. Yeah, no, it's a kind of a, not continuous, but regular and repeated is really important. So yeah, don't do it that way. You, you're just guaranteed to set up yourself for for a, a problem um so let's go on to the next one great let's give that a three and not because you shouldn't be a five that you shouldn't be doing it because it's not enough um it, that's one piece of the defensive puzzle. So it's not enough, but you must do it. You must do it. So can I say five with, with context? Don't just rely on that. For one thing, you can't conduct audits often enough and they're too expensive. So you need to have a whole series, a whole testing regime of which your audit is one part. So let, let me give you an example. You, you um, conduct an audit, and then there's an update to the software that was audited that contains a vulnerability. It'll be open until the next audit and the time to fix. Yeah, now there might be some things that you, the only way you can find is, is with a manual audit, so that's important, but you wanna, have, you wanna be looking all the time in different ways. And besides, no one technique is sufficient. They complement each other. And so that's why I gave it a three. You want to, you, that's an important part of your 
entire defensive posture, but not the whole thing. Yes, that's a five. You must do that. But I, w I would add, you've got to use a unique password for each place. This is very important, which then implies, well, maybe you have a, a elephant, elephantine memory, but I do not. So uh, it implies a password manager. And don't I would say I would encourage people to not listen to the security pundits who say, well, there was a vulnerability found in this password manager, so never use a password manager. Um, for most people, you know, that, that isn't going to work. A, those are experts and they know how to deal and they have their own systems, A, and B, that's a bit arrogant. Um, I'm going to be really um, critical here. Uh, to speak in that way. And besides, all software is going to have vulnerability. Every piece of software is going to have a vulnerability in it eventually. And there are some basic computer science that's behind that I'm not going to go into here. Catch one of my other lectures and you'll see. Or, or come into my, audit one of my classes at the university and I'll be happy to share it with you. But um, there's some basic, you know, everything's going to have a vulnerability. Don't use software if you don't like vulnerabilities because it's, it's, that's one of our big problems. So, um, you know, get a password manager and use separate passwords. And then we have a 55555. Do it. Uh, do especially for anything that is sensitive, like your financial stuff. Make a really hard password but you don't have to remember it. Keep it in your password manager and boom, there you are. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm definitely honored and privileged to be uh, included in your, in your podcast. Thank you so much. And you have a great day.